No drop again? All right. Is everybody ready? Because uh, I'm ready, and I would like to share what, uh, what God has shared with me. See, I did a weird thing yesterday. I drank uh, coffee in the evening. I don't normally necessarily do that, and it doesn't normally have an effect on me. But I was joking with Colin uh, at uh, Mama's event that uh, last night God was just going to allow me to write my sermon instead of getting up early in the morning and, and writing the notes down. And I tried to go to sleep, but I ended up staying up till 3 o'clock this morning writing out some notes. So if they're a little incoherent, you know why. But it's all good. It all comes out uh, in the end, right? I appreciate that. Thank you. Very topical. Very topical. Uh, so we're going to take opportunity now to move beyond, uh, beyond encouragement as the world understands it. We spent two weeks doing that. And I think the general consensus is that we found that to be discouraging, uh, quite the opposite of what we were looking for. Uh, so just a, a reminder before we get into what self-encouragement looks like uh, from a biblical standpoint, uh, Webster defines encourage uh, as uh, to inspire with courage, spirit, hope, attempt to persuade, to spur on, or to give patronage to. Uh, what we've discussed in the past uh, couple of weeks here is that uh, real encouragement for the world's purposes is actually just motivation to try to get you to accomplish a task, to find and be of value, right? Uh, because happy people accomplish better things and achieve better goals. Uh, all of this can all really eventually just lead to, to one thing. And we're going to show a quick video that'll show what it leads to. Are we ready for that? I'll talk about other stuff while we wait for it. I'm trying to make, you know, the, the sermons a little bit more interactive, a little bit, a little more, more pop, right? So come up with some illustrations, some videos. I don't have any cats hanging from a string saying, hang in there today, so you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. Uh, no SNL skits. Um, sorry. But I do have this. I'm ready if you're, are we plugged into sound as well? Okay. Because I, I don't hear anything yet. These are their scores.
Oh, that's, it's repeating for some reason. All right, so this is from uh, an episode of the Netflix series Black Mirror. And basically, uh, everybody is judged in society by their social media scores. This is what worldly encouragement leads to. No, seriously. This is what it leads to, and I know this for a fact because, believe it or not, China is instituting something very similar to this as we speak. People will be prevented from traveling on trains and planes based on their social credit scores. It's all about how people feel about you and the value that you can add to society. Remember, we talked about the fact that that value is continuously shifting. Those were two best friends that grew up together, but one of them climbed through the social status. And the only reason that the, the, the lady was invited to the wedding was for the sympathy bumps in score. Because her social engineer worked with her in her life plan to try to raise her score up. It's, it's tragic. But this is what society is turning into. Even the point where she sat down and she bit the piece of the cookie that she had no intention of eating just to make the perfect post. Because we're looking for that feeling that we get when people approve of us. Right? They're looking for their value in those things. Now, that is depressing. It's very discouraging. And it's happening in real life. It, it may start with China, but we talked about the fact that Facebook is actually having a, an actual effect on our personalities and our attitudes, and it is devaluing human life, human interaction. Because all we're looking for is that thumbs up. And when we don't get it, obviously we're less than we just can't have that. Now, fortunately for us as Christians, we have a different standard than we live by. We're not worried about getting the likes. We're not worried about trying to find our value based on how people perceive that we add to their society. We're given a different standard. Uh, remember, I brought up the definition uh, or what we understand encouragement to be from the Bible, that was uh, the Greek word uh, parakaleo, uh, which is from para, which is close beside, and kaleo, which is to call. And that appears 105 times in the New Testament. So we uh, translate that mostly as, uh, as to encourage. So the world understands encouragement as a way to motivate you to accomplish a task because encouraged workers are more productive and self-encouragement is, as we you know, talked about, if you search through Google for self-encouragement, what you're most likely to get is uh, articles and, uh, and uh, listings for self-motivation, right? It's the motivation to accomplish things. So... The beauty of being a Christian is we have discovered that value, our value, has nothing to do with our social status. Our value as human beings 
is not assigned by some arbitrary speculation. It's not something that changes on a regular basis based on if people think that we're going to interact well with them, if we're going to contribute to society. Uh, it's based on something more concrete than that. Because we are, um, we are given our value. We are shown our value uh, by our Creator, by God. We are made in the image of God, and He not only set our value, but He solidified it when He provided payment for us. See, we've already been bought and paid for. Our value has already been set. It's already been taken care of. It's not some arbitrary thing. It's not going to go up and down. It's not like the world. Um, now, how do we know that this value has been set? Let's see. By providing payment for our debt, he showed what we were actually worth. When Adam first realized that in his estimation, in Adam's estimation, he was not able to face God because there was a disparity between them. That is when our value seemed to change. But it was a change in our minds. It did not change the relationship that God wished to have with Adam. And how do we know that? Because even after Adam partook of the fruit of the tree, God still came looking for him for the evening walk. So the truth is, is that Adam saw a deficit. Adam saw there was a value difference that he could not pay. But God provided payment through his son, and Jesus took from himself and sacrificed to pay that deficit that Adam perceived that Adam saw, and that Adam assigned. Jesus came and he told us our true worth and our true value. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew uh, chapter 5. So Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses uh, 13 through 15. So Matthew 5, 13 through 15 says, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt is it if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So from this, we can understand, from Jesus' own math, he says that we are the salt of the earth. Now, what is the importance of salt? We've actually had a sermon on that. Salt is very, very important. In fact, did you know that all animals require salt. Salt plays a crucial role in maintaining human health. 
it is the main source of sodium and chloride ions that we get in our diet. Sodium is essential for nerve and muscle function and is involved in the regulation of fluids in the body, so blood volume, blood pressure, that type of thing. And chloride ions serve as an important electrolytes and regulate our blood pH and pressure as well. It's essential. Without salt, we would die. So it is an essential element, and we are told here that we are the salt of the earth. Without us, then, the world would not survive. This is an example of our value. It cannot change. It is set in stone. Likewise, we are a lamp providing light to the world. Without the light that we provide, the world would not be able to see the way to God. That is an establishment of our value. We are the salt and the light to the world. That cannot be diminished by the speculation of man. For it's not assigned by man. It is given to us by our creator, God. So now that we understand what our value is, now that we know that encouragement or motivation is not geared towards obtaining our value, we have to go through the process of redefining it and understanding what encouragement really is. Because it's not about what we can do, what we can add to society. It's much, much more than that. Encouragement by biblical standards, by God's standards, has nothing to do with how valuable you are. It has nothing to do with how much work God can get out of you. In fact, we are told in the Bible that we can't earn our value. We can't accomplish certain things so that we can win favor and find a relationship with God. It's definitely different than the world's, well, bastardized understanding of encouragement. It goes far deeper than that. So we go back to the word, parakaleo, to call close beside. Encouragement, then, are you ready for this? Encouragement is about relationship. Think about that. Encouragement is about relationship. It's not about what you can provide and the value. It's about relationship. So how do we know that to be true? We're given a hint to this in some more Greek words. You know that my forte is mispronouncing Greek words. So I decided I'd throw a bunch at you today. We already talked about parakaleo, which we take to translate as encouragement. Did you also know that there is a word parakaletos? Now, parakaletos is another word for the Holy Spirit. Hmm. The comforter. 
Encouragement is part of a name for the Holy Spirit. That's kind of interesting. It comes from the same root. So self-encouragement is basically you yourself recognizing the relationship that you have with God through the sacrifice of His Son and through the working of the Holy Spirit. Encouragement is about relationship. And we can see that there is many examples of this in His Word. It is important that we understand that in relationship is where we find our joy. Now remember, the world says that encouragement is geared towards finding happiness, that fleeting, momentary emotion that cannot last. But the Bible says that we are to find our joy in our relationship with God. Joy is so much more powerful than that weak thing that the world calls happiness. You see, happiness only comes around in the right circumstances, when the right things fall into line, when everything is at its best. But joy never leaves you even when you're going through trials, even when you're going through strife, even when life sucks, joy is still there. It's not fleeting. It is everlasting. The reason that I know it's everlasting is because our joy is not found in anything that we can do. It's not found in anything that we can say, and as we determined, it's obviously not found in our value. Our joy comes specifically from our relationship with God. Though we are finite, He is infinite, and that relationship is without end. Hallelujah! So, no matter what we go through, no matter how useless we may feel. We know that we are secure in our value, we are secure in our relationship with God, and we can find joy in that. Let's look again at Matthew 5. This time we'll look a couple verses earlier in verse 11 and 12. So Matthew 5, Verses 11 and 12, it says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. Now, I do realize that it said be happy in this translation, this is the only translation that it says be happy. Every other translation says rejoice in your joy. In fact, the words, here we go with those Greek words again. The word is 
kairo. It is a verb to be cheerful, calmly happy, well off, especially in meeting or parting. To be full of joy and rejoice. Now it is doubled here. It is doubled here because it says, be happy, be very glad. And that doubling here, that be very glad, is uh, agaliao. Agaliao, which comes from agan, which is much, to exalt, rejoice exceedingly. So we are to be more than just happy. We're to rejoice joyfully, exceedingly. This is like happiness on steroids. It's huge. And we see it uh, other places as well. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of James. I think you all know where I'm going. This is one of my favorite sections. It's one of the first verses or sections that I memorized. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested and your endurance has a chance to grow, so let it grow, for when endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Think about that. When we go through trials when things just aren't working out, when we're in a very depressing situation, it tells us right there to have joy. Now, what do we have joy in? Do we have joy in the fact that, oh, you know, eventually we may overcome this? Are we overcome by the activities that are going on around us, by this lull in our emotional cycle? We have joy in our relationship with God because we know that that is steadfast and it never changes. I like the understanding of this joy as a calm delight because we can rest in assuredness that God never leaves us. How do we know he never leaves us? He pursued us continuously, continues to pursue those who don't have a relationship with him. He sent his son to die for us. Our relationship with God is not based on our pursuit of him. It's not based on our finiteness. It's based on his infiniteness. He pursues us for a relationship that will never end. Self-encouragement is not like focusing your will to accomplish a task. I don't know about you, but I don't believe any of us are Green Lanterns and part of the Green Lantern Corps. Hold up your green ring. It is not by focusing our will that we can overcome the trials that we go through. 
It is not by any action that we can take. Self-encouragement is not about our will to accomplish it. It's not that temporary high that we feel when we go for a run or we exercise. It's not a momentary emotional rust, uh, rush. Pardon me. It's not a rust either. It doesn't decay. It builds you in consistent growth. It builds you in consistent growth through perseverance so that we become perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. We become the very people that God created us to be. It's so much better than what the world would have us believe encouragement is. There's so much more depth to it. Instead of discouraging us, it actually brings us joy. Because we know that it is not based purely on our own actions. We are constantly growing. We are motivated towards a goal. And this goal does not move. It is a very real target. It is very easy to hit as opposed to a moving target that is assigned by man that changes on a whim. We can be assured that no matter what society throws at us, we are called from close beside. We are called and we are given our comforter, the Holy Spirit, to walk with us. To walk with us just like God walking with Adam through the garden in the cool of the evening. Is there a disparity there? Well, we are finite and he is infinite. Does God place value on that disparity? It's already paid for. It's of no consequence anymore. It's been taken care of. God wants a relationship with us. We can be one with his son as his son is one with him. It says so in John 17. Encouragement is all about relationships. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts 28. Acts 28, and we're going to just read um, 11 through 15. Now, Acts 28 is uh, talking about Paul. This is after Paul has uh, declared his Roman citizenship so that uh, he could uh, basically go before Caesar to plead his case, which is his right as a Roman citizen. So starting in verse 11, it says, It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered at the island, an Alexandrian ship with twin gods as his figurehead. Our first stop was Syracuse, where we stayed three days, and from there we sailed across to Regium. A day later, the south wind began blowing, so the following day we sailed up the coast to Petulio. There we found some believers who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard we were coming, and they came out to meet us at the Forum, the Appian Way, and the others joined us at the Three Taverns. And when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. 
So what was it that encouraged Paul? Other believers. What encouraged Paul was relationship. What encouraged Paul was being able to see that relationship with other believers, to see their relationship with God and their want to spend time in relationship with Him. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 7. Paul describes an event in his writing to the church in Corinth. So in 2 Corinthians 7, just read 5 through 13. When we arrived at Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict in every direction, battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so is the news that he brought of the encouragement that he received from you when he told us how much you long to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent the severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful for a little while. But I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused a repentant and change in your ways is the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have so they are not harmed by us in any way. He was encouraged by Titus. He was encouraged that Titus found encouragement through relationship through the people in Corinth. Interesting. He was encouraged because it shows that he is not alone. He's encouraged because of relationship. So self-encouragement, well, let's be honest, it's not really about self, right? It's about relationship. Self-encouragement is about relationship with God the Father. Encouragement is about our relationship with the Holy Spirit who has been given to us to comfort us, to bring us through our trials, to allow us to focus on the joy of our relationship with God so that we may persevere, so we may grow beyond and become who God created us to be, perfect and complete, not lacking in anything. So much better than that, that fake thing that the world tries to offer. Because it doesn't stop. It's not temporary. It's permanent. So I would like you to take opportunity now to ask yourself some questions as we go to cell group. Ask yourself, where do you find that your joy springs from? Where does that joy begin? Where is its source?
And also, if encouragement is about relationship, how are you encouraged when you are alone? And then I would also like you to discuss when you find yourself discouraged, what is it usually that brightens your day, that encourages you? Take opportunity to discuss these things and more as we split up into cell groups, and then we'll return once more.